turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, looking at verses 13 to 21. And I titled this morning's message, Ready Your Mind. And let's open in prayer. Father, we lift up, Lord, this time in your word. Uh, We thank you for Peter. We thank you for the work that you did in Peter's life. We thank you, Lord, that you spoke these words into Peter's heart, not only to him, but to those in his day and then to us today. Your word, Lord, endures forever. It's the same, Lord, yesterday as it is today. And Lord, we sit with anticipation, Lord, of what you want to speak into our hearts this morning. Lord, that you would uh, do and continue to do a work in our lives by your Holy Spirit, through your word, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This book of Peter is a book that was written by a man that was, like Paul writing to Timothy, he was nearing the end of his his ministry, and, and actually nearing the end of his life. He was going to be a martyr for his testimony. But one of the things that was going on in the church at this time, there was persecution. You heard Pastor Kyle reading from the, the voice of the martyrs of the Christians being persecuted around our world, and, and I encourage you to do that. Read up on the persecuted church. Let it be an encouragement to your own heart as you uh, hear of these uh, various testimonies of men and women that uh, are suffering for the cause of Christ. And and by the way, God is glorified in the sufferings of his saints. And so these are not people that God has left. These are not people that God is not with, but God is actually using them as a testimony of his enabling grace in their life. And so, as we have been reading through this first chapter of Peter, we've been reminded about our great salvation. Uh, I actually titled one of the weeks, Our Glorious Salvation and What We Have. And I, I keep coming back to this, and we will this morning. I wanted to remind you by reading the text again. And if you look at verses 3 to verse 12, there's actually only six sentences in all of these verses. Peter writes in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's all one sentence. That's a lot to take in. This is your glorious salvation. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Another sentence. Just think of what, just think of the content just in that one sentence. How great our salvation is. In verse uh, 8, the second half of it, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Another sentence. Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Your glorious salvation. The prophets, they foretold of this time. The angels looking into this glorious gospel, this glorious salvation which we have. Six sentences describing our glorious salvation. Peter knew that the church, that these believers needed to be reminded They needed to to know their glorious salvation. It would help them to endure through persecution and suffering and trials of life. Peter went on and he began to, and we're going to see this morning, now began to give them instructions in light of that. But we're first saved, aren't we? First we are saved, we become secure in Christ. He holds us. We're told that in verse 5 that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then again, it says this salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know about. And even the angels themselves are eagerly watching the things that have happened. What are they watching? They're watching you and I. They're watching the church. The church that is living in an age of grace. The angels looking down from heaven, seeing what glorious salvation that God has brought forth. It's incredible. It should spur us on as Christians 
to be able to go through testings in life, to endure the testings of life. First, we're saved. But then we're called to walk. You see, it was easy getting saved, wasn't it? You didn't have to do anything. God simply called you, and you responded to that call. And then He saved you from your sin. As you repented and as you turned to Him, He saved you from your sin. He saved you from death. He saved you from the grave. It's something that He did for you. The hard part is the walk. Walking as a Christian. Now we're called to walk as believers. We're called to run. And the Bible speaks about running this race. We're called to lay aside those things in life that hold us back. We're now as Christians, we have learned that we have to wrestle in life with things. We're called to wrestle. And we're called to fight as Christians. And not a physical fight, but it's a spiritual battle. We're called to fight. We're called to conduct ourselves in this life as Christians. We're called to present our bodies to the Lord like a living sacrifice. We're called to ready ourselves. We're called to have our minds renewed. That renewing process. You see, this is the life of a Christian. This is the life of a Christian that is walking and following after Christ. Peter first told us in this letter who we are in Christ. Who you are in Him. That's your position in Christ. You see that in verses 2-12 to that we read. And now... This morning, he's going to tell us how we should live in light of who we are. How we should live now as Christians in light of our new position that we have with God. You see, our Christian walk is about our position in Christ when you were saved, but it's also about our conduct. It's about the way you live. It's, a way, it's about the way that we follow Christ. You see, we have privileges as Christians. We've been given great privileges, but with those privileges, we also have duties. You see, God saved us, but you do and I do have a responsibility to what God has done. I have a responsibility in myself following Christ. Let's look at our Bibles at verse 13. Peter, after speaking to us about this glorious salvation, he says in verse 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your minds, Christians. I'll insert that. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as you as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Peter now is going to exhort the churches, the Christians that are reading this letter, he's going to exhort them that they now need to conduct themselves in light of who they are. These exhortations that we read here in these verses, they're very similar to the exhortations that we read in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1. And also in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look at, listen to what Hebrews 12, 1 says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're called to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We're called to run the race that is set before us. In light of what Christ has done, let us run. Let us run hard in the race that is set before us. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, or I beg you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These two exhortations that we read in Hebrews and that Paul wrote in Romans 12.1, they're very similar in what Peter is trying to tell us this morning that we need to do something with what God has done in us. We need to act upon our great salvation. Verse 13, it starts with the word, therefore. It starts with that word because Peter wants to take us back in our thinking. He wants to take us back to the verses that we read before and He wants to tell us how glorious our salvation is. But in light of that, he says, now I'm going to give you some exhortations on how you should conduct yourself. The big question that we might ask as we look at these verses is, how do we ready ourselves? How do we ready ourselves for the journey that's ahead of us. You see, we're all on a journey. We're all in a race. 
We all have a goal in sight that we're going to reach one day. But how do we ready ourselves for the journey ahead? What does girding up the loins of your mind, what does it mean? And how do we do that? Why are we called to be sober as Christians? Why are we called to rest our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ? We're called in verse 14 to be obedient children. We're called not to conform ourselves to the former lust, but that we should be holy in all of our conduct. Jesus one day is going to judge our works. So we need to conduct ourselves as Christians through the time of our stay here in fear. What do these things mean? What is, what is actually Peter exhorting us to do as Christians? In light of what Christ has done for us, what is he exhorting us now to do? In Scripture, we always see first what God has done. And I'm glad it's in that order. He always shows us what He has done for us before He tells you what you need to do. We always do what, and we're unable to do what He has done for us. Paul took 11 chapters. When he wrote the book of Romans, He wrote 11 chapters, if you want to say, of our glorious salvation. What God has done for us. He justified you, sanctified you, and He will glorify you. And then, as I already read, he comes to chapter 12, verse 1, after 11 chapters of all that God has done for you, Paul then says, Now I beg you, Christians, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, your reasonable worship. It's what we ought to do as believers in light of all that He has done for us. I'm so glad that He gives us these encouragements of what He has done for us before He instructs us on what to do. When we get to Peter's second letter, we're going to see Peter do the same thing in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. What God has done. He says, giving us exceedingly and great and precious promises. Don't you just love that wording? That God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And then in verses 5-7 to of that second letter, in light of these precious promises, how we should conduct ourselves. He says, for this very reason, 
give all diligence in light of what he's done, then make every effort as a Christian to add to your faith virtue. And then he goes on and and gives a whole list. But you see, it's first what Christ has done and now how we should respond to that. The first thing that Peter says in verse 13 He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Which has to do with you being ready for your journey. Readying yourself for the journey. Like Peter spoke to us as being in his picture that we're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're on a journey to the end. We're like a runner. We're like a runner that's in a race. We're preparing for that race. We're like a wrestler who prepares and readies himself for a match. We're like a warrior who prepares and readies himself for a battle. We need to ready our minds is what Peter is saying. Gird up the loins of your minds. Ready your mind as you go forward in your journey. When God instituted the Passover, you can read it in Exodus chapter 12, when He instituted that Passover, His instructions that He gave to Moses and for the people were this. In verse 11 it says, "...and thus you shall eat it." He's speaking about the Passover. You shall eat the Passover feast with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so that you will eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against All the gods of Egypt, Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. God told Moses, instruct the people. Put a belt around your waist that you could take your tunic, your loop closing, and tuck it into. Put your sandals on your feet and have that staff in hand. And because they needed to be ready, it was a picture of leaving in haste. To be ready. Peter tells us to gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready for what's coming. Be ready on your journey. This mindset that Peter gives us of a pilgrim in verse 1. He says that we're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're just passing through this life. You're a a temporary resident here. And we should be looking for a new country. We should be looking for a heavenly country. Peter writes, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, those that were scattered abroad. This is one way that we begin to gird up the loins of our mind. It has to do with a mindset. Do you see yourself 
as just a temporary resident here? Do you see yourself as a sojourner that is on a pathway to heaven? Do you, you, in your own mind every day, see yourself that, you know what, these things are just temporary. It's all going to come to an end. All the, the pain, sufferings, and trials of life will one day end, and I'm just simply on a a pathway to a new country. It's a mindset. It's girding up the loins of your mind. Peter also writes in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims that you would abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Just as pilgrims, just as those that are just sojourners passing through, then keep yourself, abstain from those things that war against your flesh. And do you all know that feeling? Do you all sense that in life? The things that want to war against your flesh? The things that want to draw you back? into the way you used to be, the way you used to live. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims that you would abstain. Say no. I'm on a journey. I'm going towards a new country. I'm a pilgrim passing through. I want to leave all of those things behind me. Those things that war against my soul. You see, the battle for your soul, that was lost the day you gave your life to Christ. You said yes to Jesus Christ. You repented of your sin. Christ came into your life. That battle for your soul was lost on that day. But a new battle began. The battle now is... It's a a battle for your soul. And that's not a battle for your soul in the sense of taking your salvation away from you. It's a battle that wants to come up against your soul and, and make you ineffective for Jesus Christ. It wants to, it's a battle that wants to ruin your testimony of Jesus Christ. It wants to make you ineffective so that you wouldn't bear fruit. It wants to dig away at your hope that you have in Christ. It wants to rob you of your joy. You see, that's the new battle. Your soul is secure in Christ. But that doesn't mean that there's not a battle that is still raging on in the life of a Christian. Have you felt that kind of battle? Are you feeling it in your life even today? Those things that want to just draw you back, cause you to lose your joy, make you ineffective for Christ. That battle is real. And it's raging on in our lives each and every day. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, that chapter that is referred to as the hallmark of faith. 
It's because it consists of these men and women that showed forth great faith as they sojourned. They suffered much for their faith. And we're told that these men and women all died in faith. They hadn't even received the promises, but they saw them afar off and they were told that they were assured of them and they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You see, this is a mindset that we should take on. Gird up the loins of your mind. Take on this mindset that you're just simply a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth. That you would reach and hold on to those promises that God has given to you. For those who say such things, it goes on to say, they declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Seeking after a a new place, a new country. And truly, if they had called to mind, there's the mind again, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the draw of the world wanting to pull you back into what God had delivered you from? To want to draw you back to what some people call the good old days? Draw you back into those things that you once partook of? You see, if we call to mind those past days, those past things, uh, there are times that we even think, man, that was some good times. And the enemy wants to draw us back into those things. It's kind of like the children of Israel looking back at Egypt. Remember the leaks and the Remember how we were at least taken care of, even though we were in bondage, even though we were being oppressed. It just still seems inviting. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. They desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. It's all about a mindset. It's all about where we have our minds fixed. Peter, in verse 13 He says, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. To be sober is having a sobriety of spirit, is what the word means. It's having spiritual restraint in your life. It's being self-controlled. It's being watchful because of the allurements of this world. Be sober, Christians, is what, we're, what Peter is exhorting us to do. 
the things in this world that want to distract you, that want to pull your eyes off of Christ, to take your eyes off the goal that is set before you. You see, we're called to be sober-minded. We're called to, to gird up the loins of our mind. And you see, these are exhortations that will give us victory. It's about our mindset. One commentator wrote, to be sober, it denotes a condition free from every form of mental and spiritual loss of self-control. It is an attitude of self-discipline that avoids the extremes. We're to be sober. Peter also went on in verse 13. And he exhorts as he says, And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's with patience. It's with patient resting and hopeful waiting that we are called to fully lean upon the grace that is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Patient resting. Hopeful waiting. You see, to be watchful, to persevere in hope, to rest your hope fully upon the grace that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's girding up the loins of your mind. That's taking on a different mindset. And let me ask you, are you resting? Are you leaning fully on the grace that Jesus Christ gave to you the day you believed? Are you still relying on that grace today in your walk with Christ? Are you looking ahead to that day when you stand face to face with the Lord? And are you resting in the grace that is going to be brought to you on that day when you stand before the Lord face to face? I started thinking about once again what that day might look like to stand face to face with the Lord. Just put your thought, just put your mind in that place right now. What it'll be like on that day when you are standing face to face with Jesus Christ. And how much grace you'll need in that moment as you stand before Him face to face. You see, this grace that we started our faith in. We need that grace today and we'll need it then. You see, to gird up the loins of your mind is to be looking ahead and leaning hard upon the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To gird up the loins of your mind is living with this hope, this confident expectation of His return. 
Are you living that way right now? Are you living with confident expectation that Jesus Christ could come back today? Is that a mindset? Are you girding up the loins of your mind with that whole thought that Christ could come back today? Do you have that hope in your heart and your mind this morning? I think that there's a real work that God does in the life of a Christian that is living with that expectation. John wrote about it in 1 John 3.3. He says, everyone who has this hope, and I believe the hope that he's speaking about is that hope of Christ's return. That hope when we are one day face to face. That one day when we enter and leave this life into glory. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. You see, there's a real purifying effect upon the life of a Christian that is living in the expectancy of Christ's return. How about somebody that's not? How about somebody that's a a Christian that is not living in light of his return? Well, I think that we're people that, you know what? If we think we've got a lot of time, you know, I mean, there's room, I believe, for a lot of compromise. The person that is living in light of coming face to face with the Lord at, at any time is the one that is going to seek to live a holy life. He purifies himself. He seeks to live holy before God. Just just contemplating the thought that he could come back today. What effect would that have on your life today? It's the girding up of the loins of your mind. It's this making ready our minds so that when we go through the trials and the tribulations and the sufferings of this life, when we know that that we're going to be able, that we're leaning on this grace that we're going to receive even when we stand before the Lord someday, what a difference that makes. In 1 Thessalonians 4.15 we read, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Let me ask you, what I just read right there, do you believe that? Do you believe that whether you are dead or you're alive, God is going to raise your body up, God is going to translate your body, that you are going to meet the Lord, that we're going to meet together, the Lord in the air. You see, if we live in that mindset, if we live in that expectancy, 
It'll have a great effect upon your life. Let me warn you, Christians, there are a lot of Christians today that are living and not even expecting that the Lord could return. They're not even waiting in anticipation. They're doing the Christian thing, but with no hope of Christ's return. Peter goes on in verse 14 with some other exhortations. He says, as obedient children, or in the Greek it's this way, children of obedience. It's how it's worded. Not conforming yourselves or not fashioning yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. It's what we read in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's girding up the loins of your mind. Back in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, we see these men and women of faith It tells us this, that these all died in faith not having received the promises. They were strangers and pilgrims that were passing through. They desired a better country. You see, that's the mindset they lived in and it took them through trials and tribulations and hardships of life and sufferings for the the Gospel. We all know what we were like before Christ. I don't want you to think too hard on that right now. But we all know what we were like before Christ. We know those days before Christ, what we were like. But now in Christ, we're called to put off the old fashioned. We're called, in a sense, to take off that old set of clothing. And we're called to put on a new set of clothing. You see, to conform yourself or to fashion yourself, it speaks of a person's mind and their character. How do you think? What is your character like as a Christian? To conform yourself or to fashion yourself. It speaks of a person's mind and their character. You see, we should fashion ourselves accordingly as Christians. We should think differently. We should act differently. That's a a life of a, a Christian. We should no longer be children of disobedience. We're now children obedient to God. Thinking differently and acting differently. You see, that's what we're all called as Christians to do. To gird up 
the loins of your mind is taking on a mind of obedience. Choosing this day whom you will serve. It would probably be a good thing for us to do each day. Choosing this day whom you will serve. We're called as obedient children not to conform ourselves to the former lusts as we did in the days of our ignorance before Christ. Remembering those days sometimes is helpful in realizing, look what God has done in me. I'm not the same person I used to be. There's so much more that he needs to do, but look what God has done. And you see, that can be a great encouragement even when we look back. The Apostle Paul did that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul knew what he had been saved from. The way you used to think. The way you used to act are things that God wants to change in us. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 that He made you alive the day you gave your life to Him. And at that time, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were walking according to the course of this world. And the Paul even says that you were sons of disobedience. He says you once conducted yourself in the lust of your flesh. You were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of your mind. And you were by nature children of wrath, just as others. That was our days before Christ. Paul also says in Ephesians 5, 6, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, it should have an effect on our lives when we see people lost in their sin, being drugged around by the sin in their life. And then we realize, God, look what you've saved me from. I was in that same place and you drew me out of that. You saved me from my sin. I once was also a child of disobedience. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Obedience. Obedience, by the way, is about obeying. Obedience is about obeying. God has given us things to obey things that we shouldn't do and the things that we should do. It's about compliance. It's about submission too. You see, it starts with your 
obedience to the call of the gospel. Do you know when people reject the gospel, they're actually being disobedient to the gospel. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, you are being obedient to the calling of the gospel on your life. You responded in obedience to God calling you by His Holy Spirit. But after you give your life to Christ and you are obedient to the call of the gospel, then you need to know that you need to be obedient to the Word of God. You need to be obedient in your walk with Christ. If you want a verse that'll give you great assurance that you're a child of God, here's a good verse to look at. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John writes this, Now by this we know that we know Him. Let me put it another way. This is how I know that I'm a Christian and that I know God if we keep His commandments. He who says that I know Him, if a person says that I know God, if a person says that I'm a Christian and that I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But, verse 5, but whoever keeps his word. And some of you might have been thinking, well, I didn't think that we were secured by keeping commandments and rules and regulations. We're not. John says, he says, but whoever keeps his word. Keeping God's commandments is keeping God's word. It's obedience. It's obeying the word of God. But whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Did you know that when you're obedient to God and obedient to the Word of God, that the love relationship that God has towards you and you towards Him actually grows? That it's perfected? That God actually matures that love relationship between God and you? You actually grow in that love relationship through obedience to Him. Whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. And then He says this, and by this, what we just read, and by this we know that we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. You see, that's who I'm following. That's who we're called to follow in obedience. Obedient to His Word and obedience and following the paths and the walk of following Christ. To follow Jesus requires obedience. To follow in His footsteps requires obedience on our part. 
In 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, we read, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. When you gave your life to Christ, somebody probably told you or you came to realize, you know what, God just simply forgave me of all of my sins. It wasn't by me keeping a bunch of rules and commandments and things that are securing my salvation. That was all done at the cross, what Jesus Christ did. But my obedience to Him is what brings about the assurance in my heart that I truly am a child of God. The New Living Translation reads this way for verse 14 in our text. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Don't slip back. We call it backsliding. We call it going back to our old ways and our old thinkings. We must live as God's obedient children. Now look at verses 15 to 16 which is really a continuation of what we read in verse 14. He says, But as He who called you is holy, so, he says, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, We're called to be different. We're not to imitate the world. We're to imitate Christ. We're not to fashion ourselves like the world, but our lives should be producing the holy character of our Lord. The one who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We should be desiring to produce that holy character like His holy character in our lives. To be holy is to be God-like. You see, the holiness of God is His number one attribute. Did you know that? The number one attribute of God is that He's holy. And we need to remember that. That all of His other attributes come out of that. God's holiness. Pastor Kyle, a few weeks back, he shared from Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 3 it says that one of the angels cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. It's the only one of God's attributes that you see in Scripture where it's triple. 
holy, holy, holy. In Revelation chapter 4, John was taken up into the heavenly throne room. And we're told that he saw four living creatures, which are the four angels of God, that were crying out in worship, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The holiness of God. Peter says in verse 15, he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Notice that Peter doesn't say, be perfect, for I am perfect. You see, we're not called and we will never obtain in these bodies a state of perfection. We're not going to reach a a, a plateau of perfection in these bodies. Peter, when he was writing this letter, he was thinking back to the book of Leviticus. In chapter 11, verse 44, this is how it reads. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, to set aside or to to set yourself apart for the Lord. I want to be a holy vessel that God can use. You see, that should be our mindset. That I I, I want to turn away from those things that are unholy so that I might be consecrated to the things of God, that God might use me. Just the word holy and holiness in the Bible, it occurs 654 times in our Bible. It's a Greek word which is defined as consecration. It's translated also sanctification. And sanctification is that of the heart and sanctification of your life. That we would set our hearts apart for the Lord. That we would set our lives apart for His use. To be holy. To want to be holy like Him. Hebrews 12.14 It says that we're to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We're to pursue after holiness. We're called to pursue it because God has called us to pursue it. That's being obedient. We're to pursue holiness in our life because God has called us to pursue after holiness. Instead of living like the world, we're called to be like Christ. 
to live like Christ, to pursue holiness in our life because He is holy. It's a mindset. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a heart that is desire, that's desire towards God is, God, I want to be like You. I want to be like Christ. In 1 Peter 2.5, looking ahead, Peter's going to say, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. A holy priesthood. A holy nation. In 2 Peter 3.11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since all of what you see with your eyes will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? Verse 17, we're not only called to pursue holiness, but we're also called to live in a mindset of holy fear. We're to have a respectful fear that we should, that would have an effect upon our conduct. To have a reverential fear of God. Peter says, verse 17, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, in other words, no one gets a pass. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, that tells me that no one gets a pass. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a child of God or not. We don't get a free pass to sin, to compromise. That the one who judges will judge every single one of us equally. Without partiality. He doesn't let some Christians get by with some things and others He doesn't. He will judge everyone without partiality. He says, and because of that, conduct yourself, verse 17, throughout the time of your stay here in fear. If we have a judge, if we have a God who judges without partiality, then we should conduct ourselves through the time of our stay here in fear. If we're living with the knowledge that God the Father 
knows and sees all of your deeds, all of your actions in life, that he's an impartial judge, and you know that the one you call upon, you see, if you call on the Father, and if you know that the one that you call upon is also the one who judges your work, then it should cause us to have this respectful fear, this reverential fear of God. It's taken on a reverent mind towards God. I, I lift up my prayers before the Lord. Father, our Father who art in heaven. And what does that do in your mind when you lift up a prayer like that? Father in heaven. You addressing God in heaven who's holy and who judges without partiality. And He sees every deed that I do, everything in my heart and in my mind. then we should be people that would conduct ourselves through the time of our stay here in fear. He goes on in verse 18, and he uses the word knowing. This word knowing is a Greek word, I do, which is by definition a divine imparted knowledge. In other words, as Christians, as a child of God, this is something that you should know. This is something that we should know as Christians. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Do you know that? like silver or gold or from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. This is the second time that Peter uses this word precious. The word precious actually by definition means something of great value. That his blood, his precious blood was costly. It was valuable. It's something that was of great price as the Lord hung there on the cross for our sin. He was the lamb without blemish or spot that went to the cross. His costly blood, as we read in the beginning of this chapter, was sprinkled upon us, so to speak, at the cross. And it's because of these things, it's our reason for living holy unto God, for fearing God, having that reverential fear of Him, that awe of who God is. Girding up the loins of your mind is knowing in your mind 
what it costs the Lord for your salvation. If you were to just sit and ponder that and meditate upon that for a while, what did it cost the Lord to save me from my sin, from, from my deeds? Uh, you know, how precious is His blood? Was the sacrifice of His Son for you? Just knowing that our redemption was costly. And that and alone, Peter says, that should cause you to have a reverential fear and awe of God as it should compel you to want to give your life like a living sacrifice unto God. Holy, acceptable, which is the most reasonable thing we could do as Christians. In light of what he's done, we ought to give our lives as living sacrifices unto him. We're going to finish in verse 20 and 21 with Peter saying, He, that's Jesus, Jesus indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. In other words, Jesus coming into this world, it was already worked out from the beginning. It wasn't made up as He went along. It was planned from the very beginning that Jesus would come into this world, that He was born to die. But it was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus coming in full of grace and truth into this world. Manifested for the world to see. He went to the cross for you and I. It was all worked out from times past in the council of heaven that the Son, that the Father would send the Son into this world to die for man's sin. He indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him, through Jesus, you believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave Jesus glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Peter gives us every reason as a Christian of why we should conduct ourselves in holiness and reverential fear obeying, being obedient children of God. He gives us every reason in light of what He's done for why we should walk the way we should walk. Peter has told us in these 21 verses that we have all the hope and every reason for perseverance no matter how tough life can be, 
no matter how difficult things could get, no matter how much suffering there could come your way, He's given us every reason to persevere, to to continue to press towards that day when we'll stand face to face with the Lord. We can live in hope as Christians. We can live in grace. We're called to be holy. We're called to give our, uh, our lives as sacrifices, to live godly lives. We're, we're called to think on these things. We're, tall, we're called to gird up the loins of our minds so that it might give you the endurance to run your race. And if you're here, even this morning, maybe where you've been wrestling, maybe that battle has been wanting to draw you back to maybe some old deeds and old habits and old practices, things that you did before Christ. We're going to have somebody up here to pray with you. You want to come up and pray and ask for prayer? That's what we should do as Christians. I'm struggling right now. Pray for me. I'm feeling that draw to want to draw me back. And I don't want to go that way. I need your prayer. And I would encourage you to come up. Or if you don't know the Lord, come on up and pray. Let's pray together. And so let's have the worship team come up and uh, closes in, in song. I would encourage us all whether you come forward for prayer or you just sit in your seat, I would encourage us all this morning to search our hearts, to kind of renew our, our minds a little bit with, the, with what we read this morning, to gird up the loins of our minds so that when we leave this place today, the things that we read, the things maybe the Lord spoke into our heart, that we would take each one of these things and we would press forward in a different way. Run harder. Say no to sin. Seek holiness in our life. Seek to glorify God in your life in a way that maybe you haven't done in a long time. Let's all, uh, let's all stand to our feet. Lord loves each and every one of you with a love that you probably can't even wrap your head around. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy upon your life. That's the God we serve. If we feel the conviction of His Holy Spirit, so be it. If we sense His arms around us and just loving us right now, then praise God for it. We should want both. Desire both. So let's, uh, let's worship the Lord. Please, come up for prayer if you're in...